Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Bradford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In our last episode, we talked with Desiree Galloway to discuss the history and current realities of Black social work. Desiree Galloway is a licensed social worker and the co-founder and CEO of Wellspring Second Chance Center, a nonprofit which offers resources and programming services to help improve the lives of ex-offenders. We'd also like to thank Care Content, our partner for producing this podcast. Care Content is a full-service digital marketing agency that helps healthcare organizations create a web presence that reaches their audiences. If your health system needs help with digital marketing, website redesigns, or social media, please visit carecontent.com. Now, let's continue with part two of our discussion with Desiree Galloway for more of her thoughts on social work. Let's talk about police violence. It's it's nothing new. We we know black people are being killed by white police officers at a disproportionate rate. And in particular, as you know, in May of 2020, the world just stood still for nine minutes when we saw George Floyd being murdered by police. Mm-hmm. How did the murder of George Floyd by police impact the social work that was already in the works in Minnesota, in particular with the Minnesota Black social workers? Well, I will tell you this. If we had difficulties grappling and grasping what happened to George Floyd, how much more did the normal Joe grapple and struggle with what happened to George Floyd? I did some debriefings around this this situation so I was on the forefront of that, but I, what I didn't realize at the time, how it was impacting me personally. I don't know if I was just so busy helping others that I didn't pay attention to what was doing, was what happened to me. My cousin, who is Jerry Blackwell, who did that George Floyd case, um, and effectively and strategically brought that to the forefront and showed that, yes, this man needs to be held responsible for the killing of George Floyd, kudos to Jerry. I think that I was really touched by the funeral. And I realized at that time, because we were one of the few agencies that stayed open, but we were doing hybrid and I happened to be at home and I watched the George Floyd uh, funeral. And all of a sudden I just broke down. Wow. So it lets you know that even the helping professions were impacted by this insanity of killing of a man and not having any remorse about it. The Black social workers, we all had to come together and really support each other. We saw a few others cry about it. And then we had those that came up strong, like, we need to do something about this. We can't allow this to go untapped, unaddressed. One of the things that we have realized is that Hence that time, we have, our community is broken. We have people walking around, hundreds of people walking around as time bombs, ready to explode at any moment because of the post-traumatic stress disorder that they have yet 
to be diagnosed with. They don't know what's going on with them. That's a problem. And you want to know why when you see the police, they run. Or why when they see the police, they start shaking. Because it impacted us in that way. Through our lens, this could happen to my husband. Through my lens, this can happen to my three sons. Through my lens, this can happen to my grandsons. This is not just about that very day. This is about a culture that has been able to live and survive and thrive while they oversee us in our communities. That's a problem. And I worry about my male family members. I have nephews, nephews that work for counties, work for hospitals. I worry about each one of them because it could easily have been them. We don't wear that we work for the county on our chest. It could be them. And so what the Black Social Workers is doing is that we're first talking about self-love, self knowing your worth, knowing that we have to keep ourselves healthy so we can help others. When I have men that walk into my program and domestic violence, anger management, because they don't know what their emotional thing is going on with them. And they said, Mrs. Galloway, I never thought about it from that standpoint. What are we carrying over from George Floyd's death? What are we carrying inside us? Some of them said fear. Some of them said hate. I mean, I wanted to break it down so they understood what was going on inside them. When we have this kind of community walking around broken, hurt, disgusted, unemployed, poverty-stricken, no food, can't take care of their families, you couple that with the pandemic, you couple that with all of that, you, got, you have some problems in our community that needs healing. The bridge of recovery needs to be established. And often the bridge of recovery is lost and never found because our people don't have access, equal access to help. That's what the black social workers put. They, we shine a light on that kind of stuff. You should be able to get health care regardless if you don't have insurance. You should be able to get chemical assessments and services and treatment without insurance. Those are barriers. What is um, recently, um, as a year ago, I was in an interview about the Black church. Mrs. Galloway, what do you think about the roles of the Black church? It's critical. Just as social work is critical. We are made of, we have different spokes in the wheel. Spiritual, physical, emotional, psychological, right? When one spoke is messed up, it causes the wheel not to run right. Your car don't run well when the spoke is messed up. The black church is critical. I think they're a critical piece of healing in the community. Social work is a critical piece of healing in the community. We have to come together. And I know they say there's a separation of church and state. From the cultural perspective, I don't agree. Right? I think we need all parties coming together, all community organizations, um, the church is coming together because we can heal and we can help ourselves. We can do it in a way that's respectful, honest, transparent, and without judgment. And so the thing with social workers, we're here 
We're here to help. We are always coming up with new ways, creative ways to helping our families, our youth, our children. Our youth need us. But if we don't stand up now, we can no longer stand on the, sit on the sidelines and say, that's not my problem. I think that's why I went into the helping profession. I was in an orphanage for three years. Three and a half years, I came out of an orphanage. Unwanted, left behind. Had I allowed that to direct, had I allowed that to just weigh me down, I wouldn't be sitting here today as a CEO and founder of Wellspring Second Chance Center. I wouldn't have sought a, a degree or several degrees, right? I wouldn't have never done any of that. But I am a person that has been through some things and I'm still standing. That's why I'm in the field of social work. This is why I do what I do. Because if I made it, they too can make it. It wasn't easy, but it's possible. It's attainable and it's real. And there are people with open arms waiting to help you. I love that. And thank you so much for helping us to um, heal our worst selves. I, yes. I love that part. One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with Black-owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Uzobi in Minneapolis. Uzobi is a health technology company that specializes in providing healthcare decision-making tools to patients through their providers, insurers, and hospital systems. For more information, please go to uzobiinc.com. That's U-Z-O-B-I-I-N-C dot com. Now, let's get back to our discussion. You know that the work of social work is arduous. It can be difficult, and it's a long and winding road. Yet, you still move on. As you said, you're still standing. Yes. And so... The efforts that you have been through and continue to go through to build equitable and effective systems for public service has been going on for years. And so what are some of the barriers or challenges that you face in your profession while working towards that goal of building that equitable and effective system? Being acknowledged. I am in a field where it's led by white males. It was hard to break into this uh, field of incarcerated men and women and youth. I don't think they thought that I had the skill set to do it. I was a new kid on the block when I first started in this, but I didn't allow that to discourage me or to push me aside. This is a nonprofit work, but you are absolutely correct. As I heard recently on the news that African-American women are the leading women in society with agencies. They're opening businesses. And I fall under that category, taking on the challenge, the need, because it is necessary. It is not about just wanting to do it. It's, it's a need. It's necessary for us to do this. It's not always been easy, but life is not easy. How you look at a thing determines how you respond to that thing. I know my worth. I know that I had the capacity and the desire 
to make a change in my community. And that was a driving force that kept pushing me forward. I think that young ladies now that see me in this position, I used to have an office with a, um, in a, with a door on it and I used to put Oprah Winfrey on the back of my door. So when I shut my door, I saw Oprah Winfrey. Somebody that I could look at every day and say, I know what she went through. She talks about her chaotic childhood. A lot of that resembled and resonated with me. And I said, if she can do it, I can do it. What am I saying that for? Because I now serve young people. A young lady sat there that's in one of my programs in the Grace Project. And she said, Mrs. Galloway, I want to be a CEO like you. She's BIPOC. And I said, you can just because a mistake should never define a person. Let's just make sure that we put that out there. A person's mistake should not define them, right? She deserves a second chance. She made a mistake. She can too be sitting in this seat, helping somebody else, pulling someone else up. So when she said that, it was almost like a challenge I took on, like, I'm gonna make sure you are successful. I'm gonna make sure that I'm gonna walk alongside you so you can be that CEO, so you can be the best that you can be. Had I listened to the naysayers, even as young as three or four years old when I was in the orphanage, even when I was in early um, grade school, when they told me I would never be anything, had I listened to the naysayers, I wouldn't be sitting here. But it is something about self-efficacy, the belief in one's ability to bounce back no matter what. I'm the epitome of that. If I told you my life story, you wouldn't believe it. When somebody tells me I can't do anything, I remember what I was told as a kid. Because I'm not supposed to be sitting here. So I don't let that bother me. It hurts. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, but I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm just going to prove otherwise. I, I I took the lemonade that was given to me as a child. I put some sugar in it. I put some lemon in it and I stirred it up and I drank it and it gave me strength to make it through. With the help of counseling, with the, with the help of people like Carletta Smith, who said, Desiree, you're graduating from high school six months early and you're not going to college. Ain't nobody told me about no college. You were the first that mentioned anything about college. I've transcended over some, <laughs> some obstacles and I am here and I want to be able to save and show other young ladies, children of color, that they too can make it. Despite their past, despite their circumstances, they don't define you. How you look at a thing that really determines how you're going to respond to that thing. And I guess that's the best way I can answer that particular question, Pleasant. I love it. I absolutely love it. As we reflect on all the ups and downs and detours that have taken place, especially since the civil rights movement for the Black community, what strategies can Black social workers implement to ultimately create sustainable social change in their work? Continuing to create our own organizations. Stop playing, right? <laughs> um, it's going to take a village. A Village Refuge Center is coming. I'm a part of that. We are creating workforce centers for us. We have to take the lead. We need our white allies. We do need them. We want you to help us. We don't want you to lead. 
We want you to stand beside us and help push us forward. But we are going to need to continue establishing community organizations that will serve us in the most honest and the most effective and comprehensive way that we can. Calling our stuff when wrong is wrong. I'm a firm believer in calling people out. I call them out in my groups, in my programming. Oh, no, no, and no. You're not going to get away with that one. You need to be honest. Did you hit her in the face or did you not? But yes, Mrs. Galloway, I did. I'm that person. So we need to continue to confront wrong. The wrong that we're seeing in our community, we know, but we don't speak up. You're not helping the community. You're hurting your community. You asked about police violence, but what about the violence in the proximity of each other? Why are we not addressing that? I address it because we teach our kids about everything else, how to cross the street, how to not talk to strangers, but we don't talk to our kids about gun violence. That's a mistake. But you rather let the police teach them about gun violence? That's a mistake. <laughs> and the consequences that come with that. We have to take the lead and we need to continue to create organizations that will provide wraparound services because our families come with not one issue. We come with multiplicity of issues, levels of issues, and we need to be ready to address those, whether they are mental, whether they are physical, whether they are sexual, whatever the need is. We can have expertise in each area. We have enough social workers to do that enough skilled, qualified mental health therapists to do that. My program requires, if you come through the Grace Project, not only the child to do counseling, but the parents to do counseling. This is a family unit. To get the child healthy, to send them back to an unhealthy parent does not work. Those are kind of programs that Minnesota Association of Black Social Workers are addressing. We're looking at every aspect. We gotta take care of ourselves first, this is hard work that we're doing. This is the good work, but it's hard work as well. Keep ourselves healthy so we can help our community. And the only way that we can help our community is by being honest, transparent, with non-judgment, and continue to give people a chance. I get cases. They send me a file. I look at the first two pages. I want to get to know the person for the person themselves. I don't want to be subjective. I want to be objective. And that's, I think, which makes us different, right? We're looking at them as human beings first, as strength-based first. Every client is not the same. Even if they're Black or not, everybody, all of us are not the same. We all have our journey. We've all been through some stuff, but we all can learn from each other. We can help each other. Girl, I, I've been through that. Let me help you with that. That's what this is about. The Black social workers is a very diverse group. When I say diverse from ages all the way from 60 all the way down to 18 that are working to make our community stronger, where we're thriving and not surviving in the survival mode. Let's come out of the survival mode and become into the thriving mode. And the only way that's going to happen is when we're doing the good work and doing what we need to do in creating agencies that will recognize the needs of our own people. Well, we're at the final question. Okay. Personal experience, I work in the healthcare sector, and as you know, healthcare can be very focused on the individual. The chronic condition, 
And sometimes we forget about everything else around that patient that presents that particular chronic condition. How can we better connect healthcare and social services? Uh, that's a good question. I love it. I will just use as one example. Um, Hennepin Healthcare is um, one of the largest trauma facilities right here in the state of Minnesota, right? And they recently reached out to Empower and to Wellspring to provide services of victims that were in there for gun violence. And they said they're coming out with trauma. They need to be able to work through this trauma. So when we talk about collaboration, it's collaborations like that that are necessary. And we can come together as a multidisciplinary team and bring total com comprehensive and complete healing. I can deal with the anger, anger of when someone getting shot and saying, I'm going to get them. No, what is that going to do? You're just going to destroy two more families when you go after that family to get revenge. So we are bringing the anger management and the trauma, healing of the trauma to healthcare systems to deal with when families come through this kind of violence gun violence, which is a public health issue. It's a public health crisis. To be honest with you, Minnesota's in a crisis. Across the nation, it's, we're in a crisis with all this gun violence. But why are we not addressing the emotional impact of that? You know, all of us come together and we're going to work on this thing and we're going to bring total healing, complete healing, emotionally, physically, spiritually. You got to do the whole nine. And there is a place for that to happen. The healthcare systems need us. We're doing a gun buyback on October 28th and 29th. We have uh, Minnesota Health uh, Doctors and Health and Equity. That's a part of this. They join forces with me um, with Wellspring Second Chance and Urban Ventures. Um, Children's Minneapolis Hospital, Alina Hospitals. It is a diverse 12 organizations that are coming together, turning point to provide healing to the community. This is what it's going to take for us to address gun violence, the public health crisis that's now facing the nation, facing Twin Cities, right? So there is a place for that to happen. And it is going to be necessary for us to work together collaboratively, collectively. Together, we can do this, not separately, but together. Desra Galloway, co-founder and CEO of Wellspring Second Chance Center, Thank you so much for just keeping it real, just being honest with us, just sharing all your wonderful, wonderful insight. Thanks again for being on the Heart of Equity podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.